welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. This first series, we're bringing on special guests to dive deep into film and TV shows with witchcraft at the heart of them. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. Today, continuing our series focused on all things witchy, we're going to be diving into a film that I hold pretty dear, and that's Anna Biller's The Love Witch. Full disclosure, and for background information, the Final Girls have a history with this film. When it was first released in 2016, we toured the film around the UK, doing Q&As with the director, hosting tea parties and immersive events that celebrated the weird, wicked world that Anna Biller had created. The film centers on Elaine, a beautiful young witch determined to find a man to love her. In her gothic Victorian apartment, she makes spells and potions, and then picks up men and seduces them. However, her spells work too well, leaving her with a string of hapless victims. When she finally meets the man of her dreams, a detective called Griff, her desperation to be loved will drive her to the brink of insanity and murder. It's an incredibly stylized film, reminiscent both of classic Hollywood films, the fashion of the 60s, and B-movie exploitation horror. Without being very explicitly set in any particular time, it lives somewhere in between horror, drama, and satire, and it's one that definitely divides people. I'm joined in this episode by Ingu Kang, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and someone whose criticism and writing have admired from afar for a while. As with our previous episodes, we'll be talking about all the details of The Love Witch from very early on, so if you want to watch the film first, I recommend you do that, and then come back to this episode. Goddess, please, send me a beautiful, sweet man to love me as I love him. Love me, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. Ingu, thanks so much for coming on board and for picking The Love Witch. Um, I've been really dying to revisit this film and to talk about it as well. Thanks for having me. I had not seen this movie before, even though it had been on my list for, I guess now, four or five years. So I'm really glad um, you created an occasion um, for which I have to watch the movie. And so what did you think of it? I mean, I've seen this film about, I want to say about 10 times, uh, but... <laughs> yeah, because of um because of previous involvement with the film and having screened it and curated it in a, a when it first was released in the UK. But I'm so curious to hear your thoughts watching it now for the first time. Um, so like full disclosure, I finished this movie like five minutes ago. Um <laughs> <laughs> and also I did not realize it was going to be such a like finish the movie and then like think about it for like an hour type of movie so now I really rue my timing <laughs> um I feel like my primary reaction to this movie is that like I got to like the halfway sorry I got to like the 30 minute point and then I was dming one of my friends like hey what did you think of this movie because i could not believe that there was going to be 90 more minutes of it left um (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't sound promising (laughs) that really wraps up a lot of my reaction to the movie i think it's one of those things where um you can feel the like authorial choices so profoundly um, but also it's one of those things where this is someone's like incredibly idiosyncratic vision, but it's just like not the vision that I personally like glom onto. And so when you have a situation like that, like it's almost like going to like a one man play or something and you either just like 
really, really love it or you really, really hate it just because there's just like nothing else there but like that one person's uh, vision and force of will. And so I don't know. I feel like with a lot of movies, um, because I have to watch so many, like there's a slight prison aspect to them sometimes for me where I'm just like, okay, I guess this is just like how long... Like, I have to be here watching this movie. And that's sort of what it felt like for me. I feel like <laughs> the fact <laughs> that you've seen this movie ten times means that we have incredibly different uh, reactions to this movie. Oh, I'm incredibly excited to hear your thoughts about it. Because I compl- I actually completely agree with you. It, it is such a, a one-woman show. I think with this film in particular... Yeah, I feel like, sorry to interrupt you briefly, like, if you look at the credits, they're kind of insane, because it's written, directed, produced, edited, scored, all by Anna Biller. Oh, I know, yeah. Also, she made a bunch of the costumes and, like, a bunch of the, like, props and set designs. Yeah, and she also composed the, the kind of the songs that they sing in the film as well, like the ones on the harp and in the fantasy marriage sequence as well. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like sometimes, you know, you gotta, there's, like, a reason why people outsource those things. I mean, we should sort of explain, like, what the film is, right, before we sort of dive too deep into it. Go ahead. So I think that the movie takes place in the 60s. It's extremely stylized, like it's in the 60s. It felt to me a lot like a sort of, like, feminized version of, like, a Quentin Tarantino film in that it's heavily homage to, like, a certain era um, without, like, in my opinion, really, like, adding anything to, like, it's, like, a very good, like, simulacrum of, like, the previous era, but it doesn't, like, say anything about that era that's interesting, and so, like, that's where the uh, Tarantino parallel came in for me, so I think the plot as far as like I can sort of like figure out is basically that there is a woman who has probably a witch uh, who has probably killed her last husband. And when the movie begins, she's like in the car, she's driving down the California coast and she, all she wants is to start a new life. And basically she just goes around killing or maybe not killing men and she wants to fall in love and she wants uh someone to fall in love with her and it's basically constantly lovelorn and i think like a big part of the movie is supposed to be that like she has these like really retrograde ideas about female empowerment and that a lot of her ideas about uh female power are basically like what can i do to get men to do things for me. Um, So, for example, I think there's, like, a scene that takes place at, like, a strip club. And uh, basically, like, the worldview of the witch world is that... And, like, keep in mind, it's sort of like a male leader um, of the witches who is talking about this as you constantly sort of like have these like cut scenes mm-hmm. to a woman slowly taking her clothes off. Um, but essentially he's sort of like, well, you know, it, the, if like a woman wants to have power, there's no greater power than basically bewitching, no pun intended, a man and then getting him to do anything that she wants him to do, Uh, which is, of course, like a very like, I don't know, like it doesn't occur to like any of these people that like maybe the woman can figure out like what the man does and then like do it herself, Um, which I understand is like part of the critique that the movie is making but also it's not that new a point for example women have been getting jobs for i don't know decades uh if not much earlier and so 
anyway, going back to sort of like a plot level, she eventually falls in love with this police detective who is trying to figure out the mystery of like what happened to these other men that she happened to kill. And the man, the police detective is a bit of a misogynist. And so there's this like weird tension about like, does the fact that like her views are really retrograde and his views are really retrograde. Like, is that going to actually make them like the perfect couple or is like, or are there like own distinct ideas about gender going to basically ruin their relationship? And also obviously there's the whole factor where he is investigating the murders that she may or may not have caused. I think that's like a good summary of the film. I think that's a that's a really yeah, that's a really expansive summary of the film. And can I ask you because this film, you know, when I've seen it with audiences and seen it by myself and I haven't rewatched it since 2016 when it came out. So it was really interesting to go back to it again. How did you take this film? Do you would you call it like a satire, a satirical horror film? Do you think it's a horror film or how would you try to define it within a genre? I think that essentially you are stuck with, if you want, like, depending on how generous you want to be, you're either stuck with an anti-heroine or you're stuck with the villainess who does not realize she's the villain in her story, right? Because essentially... Even if you take the tack that she was not responsible for the sudden death of these men that she happened to, like, essentially poison uh, with her love potions. Um, And I think, like, in each case, uh, the first guy dies from technically a a heart attack, and the second guy dies technically from a suicide. Mm -hmm. And so even though she herself poisons the men into falling in love with her like they ultimately come to their demise not directly through the love potion yeah and so she has this sort of like technical out and but she's also like highly grating to be around and she is really one-dimensional in sort of like the way that she views a lot of things and The movie is, like, extremely stilted, sort of, like, on purpose. It's almost like watching, like, either, like, a sea movie, um, because the movie is, because The Love Witch is an homage to exploitation films um or it's sort of like watching, like, a really bad soap opera. And so... I don't know, like, it's hard for me to, cons- I, I, I think that, like, I understand your question in terms of, like, how do you categorize this genre-wise, but um, I guess the way that I primarily came to it was through a sort of, like, procedural mystery mode, mm-hmm. and then, basically, instead of Uh, hanging around like the detective which is what you usually get with like a Mm -hmm. crime mystery you're sort of stuck with like the Dexter Um, (laughs) (laughs) but who may or may not be a Dexter but also like isn't interesting on any level like for me and so I guess like I'm just sort of coming back to like this prison metaphor yeah so could you elaborate a little bit about what you thought about elaine who's you know the titular love witch and both the protagonist and the antagonist of her own story because you you meant you mentioned the fact that she kind of doesn't seem to have uh too much depth and i found i always found this film so intriguing because it's so deceptively wooden like the performance of the lead uh, actress, Samantha Robinson, is kind of so specific. Like it feels like a throwback to both exploitation films and sort of some classic golden age Hollywood films where the acting just feels like you can almost see the set behind them. You know, like it feels so incredibly stilted, but on purpose. But 
I found her and rewatching now I kind of picked up on on kind of things that were dropped in about her character about like you know the the trauma that she said she has from her ex-husband the way that she's initiated into the coven with this sort of covered leader guy who is clearly just a lecherous old man who's like taking physical advantage of her uh and masquerading this by kind of this quite simplistic sex magic spiel that he then gives in the in the strip club so i kind of found her a lot sadder this time around which i hadn't really picked up on in previous viewings so kind of what Hmm. do you think you know we wouldn't i found her quite magnetic to watch um and you know it's it's a difficult thing for an actress to carry a two hour long film that's made in this very you know love it or hate it type style so i kind of kind of always have to give kudos to her for being it for carrying the film entirely on her shoulders yeah i want to make clear that my abductions to the character are not related to the actress i think that the actress is very much doing a um like this like very interesting very high wire act uh tribute to a stilted form of acting while sort of like making her line readings interesting enough Mm -hmm. to like not actually be wooden if that makes sense yeah it's almost like this like simulacrum of wooden acting totally um that i think is like very interesting to watch for about 30 minutes (laughs) (laughs) like that's great like, I get what you're going for. You're really good at the thing that you're doing. It's just that, like, everything else is, like, not that interesting for me. I think that um, the sort of... Uh, it, it's really weird because the show that I kept thinking about while I was watching The Love Witch was an incredibly, like, very different show. Um, this, like, why a Netflix drama called the chilling adventures of sabrina yes i know it well and i think like the whole metaphor like i don't like sabrina it's like a bad show but i've watched three seasons of it it just breaking my heart right now (laughs) (laughs) and i think one of the reasons why i really stood with the show is that it was like such a compelling knockoff of buffy the vampire slayer uh, and like a big central metaphor in both of those shows is that you have a young woman who has come into, who has like a great deal of power, but she's sort of stuck in this like fuddy duddy gender regressive uh, institution. And basically, as much um, power as this like young woman has the potential to have through, I'm talking about supernatural powers. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as like she has like all of the potential in the world to be the most powerful person in the world there's this larger institution that is like constantly trying to keep her in her place and telling her how to use her power instead of letting her think for herself and I think that if there was any sort of reckoning with and so um, essentially, with both shows, what is satisfying about that setup is that once the girl figures out that she doesn't need this like bigger institution of like old men telling her what to do essentially with her body, like she uh, figures out a way to sort of reject them or change the institution so that they serve her instead of her serving them. And so there is this, uh, I guess, like, much more straightforward, like, feel-good empowerment narrative. And I think something I found annoying about The Love Witch is that you have that same setup where you can see that she is being... She's in an exploitative institution um, because 
the leader of like her coven or whatever is also like as you said like a lech and also spouts like these like very stupid ideas about gender but as far as I could tell there's no grappling with it like I don't think that you're supposed to take those ideas seriously and I think as you follow the love witch as you follow Elaine you're supposed to see how like her belief in these ideas are not serving her in any way Mm -hmm. and in fact end up ruining the lives of other women around her um such as like the one friend that she has who was like a married woman who who's like yes who's like husband the love which sort of takes and then Mm -hmm. discards um but there's no like larger grappling with like her place with in the witchdom and so i was like well then why introduce it if you're not going to like do anything with it and how do you think witchcraft both as a practice which we see mostly through elaine and kind of the that very um slight painting kind of really really broad brushstrokes that we get of the larger witchdom kind of through the coven how do you think that sits in other contemporary interpretations of witchcraft on screen, kind of both film and TV? And you mentioned Buffy and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina already. I mean, this is what like I was trying to figure out like throughout the whole movie. Um, you have basically what is like an allegory, right? Mm-hmm. Of like a woman who believes these very um, self-destructive ideas and you can't really figure out like why she believes in these ideas. Um, and she uses these powers, maybe, maybe not, in order to like accomplish what she wants to do. But also it almost feels like it doesn't even need to be a supernatural story like you could basically tell the same story without any of the magic involved particularly because it turns out she didn't kill any of those men anyway um and so (laughs) i was trying really hard to figure out like what there is to say about the witchiness Mm. um i think that it's certain there's certainly like a lot of aesthetic interest um there's like a whole scene where i think there's like a used tampon that gets placed into like a bottle with her yeah. urine they and call it a witch bottle yes and then it, and then there's like an herb that's sort of like <laughs> placed on top of it i guess for like i think that's just rosemary I I feel like they kept calling it herbs, which to my American ear was very grating. Um, but then I was like, well, like, what did the bottle do other than serve as a calling card? And so I think that if you want to make an aesthetic case for putting witchcraft into the 60s universe by making it more vintagey looking, like, that's fine. Um, I think you get this, like, you get a couple of, like, really beautiful scenes or a couple of really beautiful sets. Uh, one in her apart- her new apartment where she just has all of these, like, bottles in the background. And um, the whole room is, like, very, like, intensely red and purple. And it's mm-hmm. really beautiful if you're into that. And then she goes to, like, a witch apothecary. And then you get, like, another like bottle filled beautiful scene but I also just I kept waiting for like the witch part to come in and I guess like the one place where um because I, I think a lot of the advice that she like both gives and takes is like stuff you could get out of like any woman's magazine like out of that era right that's so interesting. So you think that there was not enough witchy stuff? Because you're right, there is, there's very little sort of supernaturalness to it. It's very sort of herby potion making witchiness, isn't it? I don't know, like, what is intrinsic to the narrative that like the witchcraft, that like the witchcraft is essential. 
like if you had a let's say just like out of a hypothetical argument mm. you had a character who was completely unmagical but also just like liked putting random colored like dyed water into bottles and then using that as like <laughs> interior decoration like how would this story change you know uh, yeah and oh. so i was trying to i i think that like the one one of the other reasons to like why i kept thinking about sabrina and buffy is because both of those shows have this like very like interesting grapple with like what does it actually mean to be a witch and i think that so much of it has to do with this um power by like young women that like mm -hmm. other people are not allowed to have mm -hmm. or sorry that other people don't even know exists and so in a lot of ways especially i think on buffy it's like a the witchcraft or supernatural ability is a uh story about privilege right like mm -hmm. you have this special power um what should you do with that power um and here i was like what <laughs> i don't know like i i didn't understand like what the witch was supposed to be she said that like it saved her life but then you don't really understand how and i so i kept trying to like figure out like why is this witch element even in the story other than like it's like a cool thing to look at or perversely it's like cool to make like random people look at like a used tampon which i think there's some value to that but that's a different story <laughs> there was something that was um quite stark rewatching the film and that they kept bringing all the magical bits back to her to Elaine's appearance and to women's appearance in general and kind of uh, bringing it back to sex magic what they call it but it isn't really it just ended up being another flawed element I think it is satirical or at least I read it as satirical of kind of this idea of just the only power that a woman has is her beauty and her looks and her youth and all the magical elements aren't actually the source of power there's like a scene in the middle of the movie where essentially she's like in front of her vanity and she starts taking off like various accoutrements on her face and while she's like looking in the mirror and so i thought like oh is this actually like a crone or maybe even just like a normal quote-unquote normal looking woman who uses magic in order to like look really like hyper beautiful because that's where the beauty that's where like the power lies in her beauty and I feel like again if it was going to make a point um <laughs> I would have liked this movie more but I, I feel like there should have been some way to disentangle like what is powerful about her because she's a witch versus what is powerful about her because she's an extraordinarily beautiful woman. Um, and so I think the inability to tell apart like why a lot of the men were acting the way that they were acting was also like really frustrating. I think there's like also scenes where either uh, the main actress, Amanda Robinson, mm -hmm. or other actresses are dancing and essentially like stripping for men. Mm -hmm. And that's like another one of those things where you hear through like the sound um, or like the camera work, like something is happening. But is it sex magic or is it just like plain old male horniness? <laughs> and... I guess, like, if you want to make an argument that, like, there is no difference, like, again, that would be, like, a movie. That would be a point that the movie is making. Um, but <laughs> I, 
otherwise like I'm not really sure like why any of this witchcraft stuff exists because I felt like the points kept muddling into one another so that like it didn't really seem like she was making any point at all other than like this is like a dumb belief which anyone I think going into the movie would know already what did you think about the relationship as we see it through the film between Elaine and the community of witches? There's a couple of things, a couple of lines that they drop, like, you know, we're never really told where she is geographically. And even like, it looks like the 60s, but there's no, I think there's like a cell phone at some point. So there's no kind of really specific placing of the film in time or space. But there's a line where they say like, oh, this is not, you know, this is not as liberal as San Francisco, but, you know, they're sort of fine with us witches being here. So there's like this distinct um, kind of conflict already existing between, say, the locals and this community of witches the coven or maybe wider kind of what did you think about the way that that those groups of witch gatherings were presented and we see a couple of their rituals like the initiation of elaine and then when they gather and we get this whole monologue about how women female witches are meant to dominate men to degree through magic and beauty and kind of it's slightly edging on the it's a really confusing monologue because it's trying to push forward female empowerment, but the arguments that it's using is are quite retrograde. And I wanted to kind of get your take on on what you made of the witchiness beyond Elaine. I mean, I think this comes back to one of my biggest frustrations with the movie, which is that it's obviously trying to do too much. And also not trying to make like some larger point and so you get this like very strong aesthetic vision um but you don't really get a sense of what the writer director producer editor is trying to say about these witch worlds or where she's located within it i think um ultimately it's weird because there's like a scene very late in the movie where uh, essentially she is sort of talking to the police detective who is her biggest love interest about the other two dead men. And he's confronting her about her role in their deaths. Mm-hmm. And uh, she basically talks about how, like one of them talks about how she's a witch. And then the people in the smaller town uh, where the strip club is start essentially like accusing her of being a witch, tear her away mm-hmm. from the police detective. And the reason like why they even really figure out like, sorry, um, essentially, like one one of they're like having this very heated conversation about um, her being a witch. The other people at the bar start to overhear, and then one of the other women in the bar, who I think is su- also supposed to be a witch, says, "Oh, she's the one. Um, she's the witch who is responsible for the deaths of like those two guys." And so I think that you assume initially that she is safe in this witchcrafty world, even if it's fucked up. Um, And then it turns out like anyone is willing to sell her out uh, in order to like deflect blame from themselves. And then things escalate uh, very quickly and she is basically almost gang raped in the bar until the police detective comes over and saves her from like all of the gross men. Um, and you don't see any of the witches in the bar try to protect her. And so obviously like the whole point of that scene is to 
like beat you over the head with the fact that like this community sucks and there's like no support for her within it um but then you're kind of like okay but like we weren't heavily invested in this anyway so i don't understand like why we're seeing what we're seeing then let us begin all witches need to figure out where their power lies and we feel that a woman's greatest power lies in her sexuality. We don't view this power as satanic or anti-feminist, but as a celebration of woman as a natural creature, an earthly body, a spiritual essence, and a womb. The whole history of witchcraft is interwoven with the fear of female sexuality. They burned us at the stake because they feared the erotic feelings we elicited in them. Later, they used marriage to hold us in bondage and made us into servants, whores, and fantasy dolls, never asking us what we wanted. One thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was actually the ending, and Griff in particular, who's the policeman, because he really calls out Elaine. They have this whole conversation that you referenced before, where he you know he calls her out and essentially not maybe directly murdering the men but definitely disposing of the teacher's body and that he could hold her accountable for that but also about kind of facilitating their demise but the murder of griff at the end is really the first and only act of actual violence that we see her do there was like some pretty specific stylistic choices of you know the music suddenly disappears it's stark silence and it's a particularly graphic scene in a film that's incredibly stylized even kind of with the violent and the death scenes feel almost comedic as opposed to violent if you know what I mean what did you think of the ending well so when this film came out with the final ghost we screened it around the uk and did quite a lot of screenings of it and that and you know we didn't sit through all of the screenings but we always popped in for the last scene to watch how the crowd reacted because all the reactions were quite different and you know there's always quite a lot of laughter uh from the audience and people kind of really going with the throwback hyper stylized uh, aesthetic world of the film but with that one scene you could literally hear a pin drop because I think it felt a re like a really sudden departure and even re-watching it now after watching that scene a lot it does feel like such a sudden departure it feels like the only real scene and I almost think that maybe the whole film, even the whole witchiness, all the potion making, all of that feels like something that Elaine created in order to deal with something else. But that one act of violence is real. So all the stylization, all the world building, all the witchy stuff kind of falls apart because it's just this woman committing a murder. So my issue... Or my frustration with that scene is that I felt like her journey was like not defined well enough for me to understand why she kills Griff. Mm -hmm. Go on. I, I mean, so this movie basically tells you like either she's a serial killer or she is just like someone who likes to mess around with like terrible men right um it's like either or not i think in the case of like the literature professor he's like mm. sleazy but he's not like a bad person per se so like either she's just like a monster or she's she likes to flirt too much. Like, it's one of those two things, which are extremely different characterizations. And so by the time you get to 
um, her murdering, her, like, the man that she thought she was going to marry. Mm-hmm. Like, this is either just, like, the culmination of her violence or it's her, like, suddenly deciding to give violence a try. And I feel like whichever strand you pick that up from, I'm going to have, like, an extremely different emotional reaction And I still couldn't really tell, like, which version of her we were looking at. And so I felt like the character was so ill-defined that to put this, like, giant anvil on, like, her story by the end just, like, made the whole thing crumple up even more, if that makes sense. I I just felt like there wasn't, like, enough storytelling infrastructure to like build up to that scene Mm -hmm. for that scene to have the impact that I think the filmmaker intended it to have. Um, And also I think you were talking about all of the different ways that like the scene, the violence of the scene stands out. But I think that for me, I understand where you're coming from, but also it didn't strike me that heavily, I guess. Well, I don't know. What is the point of saying that? (laughs) No, that's fair enough. Wait, I feel like we should continue talking about this ending because like now I'm really stuck on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Do you like the ending? Do you know what? Yeah, I do. Well, you know what? Talking to you, I'm kind of questioning some elements of it, and but no, I do. I actually do. I also finished um, rewatching the film just before we started having this conversation, and I'm still quite struck by it. But I do remember feeling like it was quite a sad ending for her character, and actually, she struck me as quite sad throughout the whole film this time, and that's kind of what I was referencing before is the fact that you know even in this fantastical over-the-top world she kind of founds her counterpart or someone you know in Griff to a degree you know all the male characters in this film are kind of totally written for laughs I think um incredibly basic and in kind of in their psychology and in the way that they speak and there's this one guy who she meets who confronts her and I think that kind of just forces her to look in the mirror at the things that she'd been doing but it's kind of a never-ending cycle so almost after that ending and her kind of holding that bloody dagger and looking at these paintings and thinking that this is another ritual it kind of broke and you know I'm apologies for the pun but it kind of broke the spell that she had been placing throughout the whole film because it didn't seem so aesthetic and the fact that it just ended there that we didn't go off and kind of see her continue on her uh, man murdering journey kind of made it redefined my reading of that ending a little bit like it was just her coming out of a traumatic experience and being deep, deep, deep in her own delusion. But this was maybe the only scene that we were seeing that felt real. Well, this and the scene with Trish, actually, which I found incredibly sad when she discovers that when she goes through Elaine's room, her apartment, and she discovers a picture of her own husband in on her boudoir, or whatever, vanity that's called. And she tries to put on the Elaine costume you know she puts on the same type of makeup she puts on her wig she puts on her clothes and she kind of really attacks her and that those two scenes were the only ones that felt not hyper stylized but kind of coming from a human emotional place and I can see where you're coming from kind of in your in your critique but I don't I actually don't remember having watched this you know, watched the film a lot when it came out, having that kind of a lot sadder emotional connection to those two particular scenes 
and to Trish and Elaine in that final moment. But I think my dissatisfaction with like the Griff murder is that like midway through the midway through their romance, you find out he's also a jerk where oh, yeah. he closes himself he closes himself off to Elaine because of this, because his internal monologue is basically like uh, there's no such thing as like a like a like an actually like fulfilling woman or like a, a there's no such thing as like an actually fulfilling relationship with a woman because the idea that you want of her in your head is always going to be so much more than like any human woman ever could be and so like as soon as you find out what like any given woman is actually like she's going to be incredibly disappointing and so this is obviously just like plain old misogyny right Mm. and so for him to be the one to deliver like the cold water to her face and say like listen up this is what you're actually doing wrong like i understood that that's what uh she was supposed to be getting in that moment but it also (laughs) wasn't really satisfying because it's basically like a misogynist yelling at a woman about everything that's wrong with her and so even if everything that he is saying is correct um it doesn't quite feel like the uh moment of clarity that it's supposed to be in the film because you know that like deep inside his soul he is also like a terrible person who hates women yeah and i think it also you know within the the narrative of the film as well it might even have triggered something in her because there's this one scene where which is a really strange scene where she's sort of frolicking around on the bed in her underwear but the voiceover of her memories are kind of these men who were to understand are her ex-husband and I didn't quite gather whether that was her father or the coven leader or whether their voices were merging but kind of a senior paternal figure and they're all berating her and then praising her, you know, and it's implied that uh, she didn't look the same way as we in in the guys that we meet her and then lost weight. And then suddenly she was appealing and attractive to these men and suddenly she had value. And then the way that Griff confronts her and yeah, you're right, it is a correct information and kind of a correct assessment of what she's been doing but coming out of uh, quite a despicable character I think in fact all men in this film are kind of like I mentioned before quite despicable and um, very so misogynistic it's kind of laughable but I think there's a point also of him just waking up or restating a lot of the things that she's heard a lot from other men in her life as well so I wonder if there's a potential reading of that kind of triggering actual violence in her outside of all the kind of with the witchy the witchy potions and the spells and that she casts on other men because she's trying to make them love her but her idea of love is incredibly warped by all of these other male voices that she's been hearing all the time I mean, I think that's a really generous reading. (laughs) I think that it's also. I have a lot of time for this film, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's also a very valid reading. Um, Basically, I think that you're like recasting the rest of the movie to essentially say that it's like really about a woman who's been incredibly damaged by men and so her incredibly warped vision of like female empowerment is to essentially get men to a place where uh like they won't lash out at her anymore but like when this other one that she was like really working hard to 
uh, placate ends up lashing out at her all the same, then she decides, like, she's sort of, like, re-traumatized and then kills him. Like, is am I summarizing, like, your view yeah. on the film I, correctly? I think I have, like, about six different readings of the film. That's definitely one of them, for sure. Yeah. That I kind of thought of while um, on this rewatch. Wait, 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 Anna. Yeah. But like, if that was your, like, the film that you just described is so much more interesting to me than like the film I actually watched. <laughs> and also, the film that you just described, like, what does any of that have to do with witchcraft? Well, one of the things that I find most interesting about witchcraft on screen is that it's synonymous with power and it's a synonymous with a very gendered form of power because usually the images of witches that we get in film and television are women, right? And this film, which carries, you know, the aesthetic trappings and has witch in the title and there's witchiness kind of coming out of every single pore of it. Actually, the, the relationship that the witchcraft has with power is quite different like we talked about it before it's all about beauty and sex and appealing and um catering to male desires and a very well traditionalist view of what men want from women and the dynamic between genders so that's interesting to me because actually now that kind of while we were talking, I'm thinking about Elaine as quite a disempowered witch to a degree. Because she's not, you know, she's learned um, and she can do all of supposedly all of this kind of magic and potions and spells and control men specifically. But it feels like a very reductive approach to the limitless idea of power that witchcraft conjures up to me which again is why I find it interesting because of how it fits into other representations of witches that I've seen in film and tv this is a kind of a, a broader question how do you think actually Elaine fits into the kind of the the canon of witch films I feel like the movie is so muddled for me that it's really hard for me to make a pronouncement like one way or another. I guess that's like a bit of a cop out of an answer. <laughs> no, but I feel like not. if I had like a better sense of who that character was, it would be easier for me to say anything. Um I compared her somewhat to sort of like the Buffy, like Sabrina, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. like empowerment narratives and how this much, how this film is sort of about like this, like false uh, illusion of this, like illusion of like female empowerment, like under the guise of like, uh, like within patriarchal constraints and how like she doesn't really seem to find a way like at the end of like getting out of those patriarchal constraints um which is like fine obviously it's just that like if you're going to like introduce it but don't, like not do anything with it then I don't know like why you introduce it in the first place um I think I'm coming around on your abuse I but I just feel like I don't know like if mm -hmm. her big main powerful gesture in the movie is like stabbing a person mm. like I can go stab someone like I don't need to be a witch <laughs> to do that well actually here's here's a question for you to start um to start kind of wrapping us up do you think she's actually a witch <laughs> honestly I'm now questioning everything about this film do you think she's actually a witch in the supernatural sense? In the supernatural sense. I guess like we don't have any evidence that she has any supernatural powers, right? Yeah, pretty much. I quite like this idea now of her witchcraft being kind of in her head. Because you're right, you know, the the only, you know, she's incredibly beautiful and alluring to men 
you know, when we see that, but she ultimately just stabs a dude. Wah, wah. <laughs> Um, th- I, you know, you know where you actually see her supernatural abilities mm-hmm. in her otherworldly hairlessness, because <laughs> wow, like she does not have one single body hair in this entire movie, and that is astounding. Would you re- would you recommend that people try to seek it out? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I don't know why I was expecting you to say anything else. <laughs> I did talk about, like, while I was, like, watching the movie, mm. I did have, like, very brief chats with, like, three different friends about the movie. Mm. And none of them liked it either. And so I feel, like, pretty confident in not recommending the movie. <laughs> but I will also say that, obviously, it's entirely possible that, like, the reason why I have... The friends that I do is because they share like a lot of similar sensibilities as that I enjoy. And so, you know, like obviously not everyone's me. Um, I just personally would not recommend it. That's fair enough. <laughs> I think I think it's would a very you recommend this movie. I mean, I have and I will. Um, I think okay. it's a very marmite film. You know, you can you can definitely not be into it. Um, and I can also see why. And I also, I know quite a lot of people who are absolutely head over heels in love with it and kind of take different interpretations of it. And I love that a film can create a reaction and different readings and quite a lot of different readings and some of them pretty out there and wild and... To be honest, I just I I do like Anna Biller's world, um. So I think for me, part of it is that is that I do enjoy taking a peek inside her own, in into her universe, and I also get a lot of the, um. I totally get a lot of the criticism against it as well, but it's a sort of film I think, and if you look at her previous work as well it's if you're if you're into her voice then you're gonna enjoy it and I think it's a sort of film where you'll know pretty quickly whether you're gonna be into Anna Biller's world or not yeah I think that's entirely fair um and thank you so much for your time and for your insight on the film it's been really fun to discuss it and really rip it apart after so long (laughs) genuinely well thanks for having me it's been a pleasure and um where can people find out more about your work online um so i work for the hollywood reporter so generally um that is where people can find me i'm also on twitter at ingu king um at i-n-k-o-o-k-a-n-g Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Poor baby. Poor, poor baby. Don't worry. Everything will be okay. Because I love you so much. And that's it for another episode of the Final Girls Podcast. Please do rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalgirls.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thefinalgirlsuk. Let us know what you think of the series by leaving a review. It really helps us to know what you're interested in and which episodes work the most for you. You can also get in touch with us on hello at thefinalgirls.co.uk. You can follow Ingu on Twitter at Ingu Kang, and I am on Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more witchy goodness next week.
love you, Elaine. I love you, Elaine.